Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor, none other than Yasmin Aliyah Khan, host of Modern Context and Rebel HQ contributor, superstar. I was gonna have on the program. First story of the day, well, I be damned. An actual federal official has now been charged because of terrorism committed on January 6th. Let's put it up full mass here. I'll give you the background and a reminder of what happened. Kevin Alstrip, a diplomatic security officer, I'm going to explain what that means in just a moment. This person worked for the State Department, the US State Department has now been charged with four criminal misdemeanors for allegedly breaching the US Capitol on January 6, 2021. That's according to a newly, a newly unsealed court document. Uh, this security official is seen highlighted in the image as he enters the US Capitol. I don't think he's the only um, ranking official but he has now been caught. He's accused of walking through the Capitol building for about 28 minutes during the riot and taking pictures on a digital camera. He joins a growing list of current and former federal employees charged in connection to the January 6th insurrection. Now, ladies and gentlemen, these are the people that work for the government and wanted to overthrow it. So just remember that. Other officials charged include an ex-DEA agent and a former Trump State Department appointee. Quote, we are aware that a US government contractor was arrested for his alleged participation in the events that took place at the US Capitol on January 6, 2021, a State Department spokesperson said. Referring to CNN, referring CNN to the US Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia for questions related to the case. Quote, the individual was a third party contractor providing uniformed officer services for the State Department, the spokesperson said. Um, he has not yet entered a formal plea in court. He does not yet have a defense lawyer listed. According to the charging documents, FBI agents first learned of the alleged presence of the security official in the mob through social media, social media posts, and quickly became aware that he was employed by the State Department. Quote, FBI personnel also determined that as a part of his employment is familiar with providing security and protection for high ranking government officials or sensitive locations like embassies, prosecutors wrote. Prosecutors say that he was also filmed in police body camera footage outside the Capitol. That footage shows the security official leaving the building and walking around the restricted grounds according to the report. Now put the picture up again, okay? He comes into the building, there's already a call for riot, meaning over the actual loudspeakers and the police radios. They have now called this a riot and you hear it clearly. They're calling it a riot, which means everybody now has to leave. He decides to breach along with the other criminals who did so, committing an act of domestic terrorism. And then he doesn't destroy property according to the narrative we have now. He takes pictures. Why is he taking pictures? Remember what he does for a living, at least at that time. 
He's a security guy. He's a security guy for high ranking officials. This seems like your advanced team taking photographs, finding vulnerabilities. They do that in order to come back. That's what it sounds like. Now, naturally, I cannot prove any of this. It's all circumstantial. But why would a security official who has that kind of training commit such a criminal act and take pictures? And let me remind everyone of when they called the riot. Here's some footage from that day. We're gonna try to get compliance, but this is now effectively a riot. 49 hours declaring it a riot. 5 to 50 be advised, Cal Police 1 advised they're trying to breach and get to the Capitol. We have a breach of the Capitol. Breach of the Capitol. Call that love. That is love in the air. I call it domestic terrorism, violence, criminality. All right, another one bites the dust. Um, I think more are coming. Yasmin, thoughts? Yeah, it's good to see that people like this, you know, federal officials aren't being protected from criminal charges when they've actually committed crimes. But apart from that, it's scary because it proves what a lot of people have already suspected. It's not uncommon for people to have allegiances to people or entities outside of where they say they lie. But you know, it's also not unusual for governments to be infiltrated by corrupt individuals, but it's still disconcerting to see. I'm assuming government entities and you know places of business in general do their best to vet employees and contractors, but there's only so much you can do to really understand people's feelings and their beliefs. You know, when it comes to something like security, it's like a plot in every heist movie. You got to get your man on the inside, and that's exactly what they did here. 
So there's not so much you can do in terms of preventing these people from getting into the inner circle in the first place, but you do what you can. On the other end though, you've got to be just as vigilant when it comes time to prosecute criminal behavior when it happens. You also have to let people know that this kind of behavior won't be tolerated, nor will it be protected from from uh, legal repercussions. Yeah, that's right. And I've been on record saying this, I believe it wholeheartedly. I don't think the federal government has done what they should have done by making examples out of everyone. They have made examples out of a couple of people. uh, And those few people have been able to gain the spotlight uh, because of it. All right, we'll bring you updates as they develop. We brought you the story first, we brought you the update yesterday, and we're bringing you the press conference today. A newborn child had its head severed from the body, allegedly during delivery. Seemingly, the hospital engaged in a cover-up, and the parents found out they were horrified. Here's some of the press conference, here's the father. We just want justice for our son. Uh, they lied to us, they ain't let us touch him. Uh, we, don't, we don't like it, uh, we just want justice for our son. And you can, you wanna say something? mother was supposed to talk. She couldn't do it. The emotionalism of it, too much. Every time, every time they have to talk about this, file a lawsuit, give an interview, it re-emotionalizes the trauma. Put it up for a mass. I'm going to give you some additional information. As we covered on Wednesday, Travion Isaiah Taylor Jr., the Georgia infant who died during delivery, July 9th, 2023. His parents spoke yesterday for the first time during a news conference following the Tuesday announcement of the child's cause of death being ruled a homicide. Now, what does a homicide mean? That means the coroner said, based on autopsy, this child died because of another human being. That's called a homicide, not some medical complication, a person. The baby's emotional father, Travion Taylor, uh, Isaiah Taylor Sr., uh, emotionally emotional uh, is, um, is really an understatement. I'm sure he's in rage and hurt. Briefly addressed reporters while the mother, Jessica, uh, broke down in tears. Now, the family has filed a lawsuit against Dr. Tracy St. Julian. Her OBGYN practice the nurses and other doctors involved in the birth and the hospital, Southern Regional Medical Center. This is in Clayton County, Clayton County, Georgia. They claim doctors, quote, pulled on the baby's head and neck so hard and manipulated them so hard that the bones and manipulated so hard that the bones in the baby's skull, head and neck were broken, all right? Now, to give you an example of what the allegation is, um, the hospital initially claimed 
the baby died due to complications of a shoulder being dislocated, dystocia, um, which is when the shoulders get stuck in a particular location in the birth canal. Uh, and so that's, that's the, oh, this is what happened. You see, it's just a medical issue, very sad, very unfortunate, but not really something we could have avoided. However, according to an extensive report from the Clayton County Medical Examiner's Office, the baby's cause of death was by fracture dislocation of his upper cervical spine and spinal cord, broken neck. Quote, the cause of the death again was the baby's neck was broken while Dr. St. Julian applied excessive pressure on the baby's neck in the face of the shoulder. Dystocia doctors, lawyers, excuse me, said on Wednesday. So they made the case, they presented the information they had, up to date report from the actual medical examiner's office. Let's put up attorney Roderick. Uh, so you got attorneys Roderick Edmund uh, and Corey Lynch both say they are determined to find out what happened inside of that delivery room. Edmund said, quote, I owe it to them to find out what the hell happened. This isn't just about money. This young couple went trusting in the healthcare system. And I got to tell you, the brother is personally invested into this case now. Um, Edmund said during um, shoulder dystocia, there are uh, various maneuvers doctors are supposed to perform to free the baby that they say St. Julian and, and others involved in the delivery room did not do. They did not perform. If those maneuvers don't work, the standard protocol is to move to a C-section. Now, if you remember, if you remember in the original reporting, according to the narrative, what happened? As soon as the death was evident, the parents are guided to cremate by medical professionals. They are then guided to false knowledge according to them. That say, oh, there's there's no autopsy in situations like this. You do not qualify for that. Another lie. There's more. Edmund said, Ross, uh, Ross Taylor asked to see now hold their son after his death, and were told that they were not allowed to do so. When Ross and Taylor did not accept that response, the hospital arranged for them to see the baby through a glass window. And what did they do? Propped the head up on the body as if it was still attached to the body. According to the lawyers, they also requested a county provided autopsy. But they were told the free service was not in, available to them. Lawyers argued that was meant to push the couple toward cremation to cover up the evidence. The hospital then surpassed the medical examiner's office and sent the baby straight to the funeral home. Are you hearing me? The parents don't get to touch, hold their own child. Hospital says can't do that against the rules. Hospital then, according to the attorneys, they bypass the medical examiner. Why? Because the medical examiner gives the autopsy. 
bypass the medical examiner, goes straight to the funeral home. Funeral home says, wait a minute, wait a minute. But what is this? Make sure the parents know. Let's put them up. It was last July when Watkins Funeral Home general manager, and I'm good friends with Willie Watkins, who owns this funeral home. He's a good man. General manager, Sylvania Watkins, got a call from the Ross family. The funeral home manager will be the first to alert the authority saying, the baby coming from the hospital and not the Clayton ME was the first red flag. So even the funeral home says, wait a minute, this is improper. Why is the child coming to us from the hospital rather than from the medical examiner? And out of all of the individuals who had a part in taking care of this child and taking care of this family. The one person who stood up and said something was the person responsible for taking care of the dead. The irony of this, everybody else is responsible to take care of the living. He's responsible of taking care of the dead. He's the person that stands up. Watkins recalled to WSB TV, quote, after we retrieved the body from Southern Regional, I was called downstairs to come and see what they had brought back. That's when I noticed the baby's head was not attached to the body. I received this baby from the hospital with that condition. That was the first red flag. Actually, this baby should have come from the medical examiner from the jump. So that's how I ended up calling the medical examiner to see if it was reported, end quote. It wasn't soon after Watkins call that the Clayton County Medical Examiner took custody of the baby's body and the GBI medical examiner performed an autopsy and a report. For Channel 2 Action News, the Clayton County ME determined, determined that the baby's death was in fact homicide, saying, quote, the death was caused by the actions of another person, end quote. The family's attorneys say the hospital is evading, presenting evidence in the civil lawsuit filed against the hospital. Quote, we haven't taken one deposition in this case, even though we filed it back in August, said Edmund. Meanwhile, St. Julian's medical license has not been revoked. She's still allowed to practice even at Southern Regional. The state composite medical board is currently investigating if the doctor in fact violated state regulations. There's a criminal investigation pending with the Clayton County Police Department, perhaps even with the DA's office that is unclear at the moment. And naturally, there's the civil suit which allows for transparency through the deposition process. It's clear to me. What happened here? I'm concerned about the ease of it. I mean, it's almost as if they have done it before. All right. Yasmin, hell of a story. Thoughts? Yeah. 
Yeah, the story is so heartbreaking. I know the parents are pursuing legal action now, but how does anyone recover from something like this? The money isn't going to heal these parents and the money is not going to heal the community because apart from losing a child in a way that was determined to have been entirely preventable, there is the traumatizing loss of trust associated with this. If and when this couple is ready to try again for another baby, how will they be able to trust the medical establishment again? People have to feel like they can trust their doctors. Doctors are held up to a much higher professional, ethical, and moral standard than most people in this society. And there's a reason for that. Stories like this are an embarrassment to the entire medical profession, and they speak to a diminishing humanity in this country. This whole situation was handled in such an appalling way. And I'm speaking specifically now about the hospital's actions after the baby died. They mentally abused and manipulated a couple who was already dealing with the worst thing that has ever happened to them. And that's additional trauma now that they will have to recover from somehow. I don't know how. Yeah. And here's the thing if it had not been for the Watkins funeral home manager, mm -hmm. the hospital would have likely gotten away with it. They would have gotten away with it. Yeah. Yep. All right. We'll bring you updates as they develop. Remember Judge Hatchett? Well, we got an update now. Let's put up the picture for a mask. She was illegally assaulted, sexually assaulted by that man. He was a sheriff, an elected sheriff at the time. Keep that picture up. I'm going to give you the official version and I'm going to give you the here's what I know version. On that night, I actually got a phone call from another sheriff who was there and witnessed this because this sheriff said, the sheriff did not know if this sheriff in front of you would be held accountable and for me to be on standby. Well, guess what? He wasn't held accountable at least immediately. He then decided to skip bail or skip bail. He decided to skip town when there was a warrant out. Um, I provided award money for his capture. Now, Judge Glenda Hatchett, who is a remarkable human being, was groped by the Bleckley County Sheriff Chris Cootie. This was about two years ago when it first happened. We brought it to you first. She has now filed a civil lawsuit against him. He, he said he did it. He said he did it. Judge Glenda Hatchett sat down with Channel 2's Karen Greer to discuss the lawsuit. The lawsuit seeks damages and demands a jury trial for battery and intentional infliction of emotional distress and names the Georgia Sheriff's Association. It's not about the money, it really isn't. And if I recover anything, I will put every penny toward building a boys and girls club, Judge Hatchett said. I filed a civil suit against him and it's a matter of principle. It really is a matter of principle, she said. Judge Hatchett says that during an introduction at a reception for sheriffs, visiting from across the state. Then Sheriff Cootie poked her in the chest and grabbed her breast. Now remember, he did this in front of other cops. Not a damn thing happened to him. He did this in front of other police officers. He did this in broad daylight inside of the lobby of the hotel where they were up sitting and drinking, etc. It was a sheriff's convention. It's nothing but cops around. And sheriffs in the state of Georgia have constitutional authority, meaning 
They can arrest outside of their jurisdiction. Every single one of the sheriffs who witnessed it had arrest power in that place at that moment. And not one of those feckless cowards did a damn thing. None of them. This is a judge, okay? A well-respected judge from Fulton County, Georgia. There's more. So, quote, I don't want to be the poster child for this, Karen. I really didn't. But if I had to, but if it had to happen to someone, it was best it happened to me. Because I did have the resources. I understood the law. She said, Cootie pleaded guilty to the sexual battery charge. He was then allowed to resign from his position as sheriff. Hatchet says he never apologized. Quote, I have not. And as you recall, people ask me if I was upset that he didn't apologize to me. I didn't expect him to apologize. And I also don't need his apology, she said. The lawsuit asked uh, that Hatchet receive judgment for punitive and uh, exploit damages in the amount of uh, determined by the jury. Uh, this is likely going to be one of those cases that sends a point. The Georgia Association of Sheriffs also listed here. Why? Well, because one, they're in the room. Leadership is in the room. They're bringing people together. They do nothing. And it took some movement just to get the local authorities in Cobb County where it happened to investigate properly. All right, Will's justice moving in the right direction. But you know, Yasmin, the irony of this is if you have a random group of guys, right? And there's a woman, let's say there's a uh, there's an older woman, a former judge, she's being sexually harassed. You realize that 90% of the guys around are going to say something, do something. But if you do it around a bunch of cops, nobody does anything. This is insane. Yeah, there are so many layers to this. You know, first we have a sheriff groping a judge. There's an interesting power dynamic there. Yep. Then you have to factor in the fact that this is a white man groping a black woman. He's also a sheriff, a law enforcement officer, but he clearly wasn't afraid of any kind of accountability or repercussions for his actions. But then when accountability was there upon him, what did he do? He skipped town to avoid it at all. And for the judge, you know, she says that she didn't want to be the poster child for something like this. And who can blame her? Yeah. She's obviously worked very hard to get to where she is in life. She's a whole woman, she's a professional, but this is what she makes headlines for, for essentially being a victim of misogyny and racism. It doesn't matter how high she has climbed in society and how successful she's been in her career and in her life. This is what she's making headlines for, but she's absolutely right. It's a good thing that, you know, I don't want to say it's a good thing, but if it happened to anyone, Thankfully, it happened to someone who had the resources to fight back and to make it a public issue and to shine a light on these things that are happening. Because if it happened to you know most other people, they wouldn't have this kind of access. Yeah, yeah, and we will follow this case until completion. We have more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. Sit next to my newborn baby and threaten her. What are you doing? It's not. Oh, here, I'm blocked me, you. Oi, you're drunk. I am blocked. 
Mark. Leave. I told you, yeah, but I brought back my son's phone that he asked me to bring here. Leave. You can't do this. It's antagonizing. Leave. Off there. I've just asked you to leave me alone. You're in front of my house, lady. I, I am so confused. The car looks like it's at least a four cylinder, but it sounds like a one cylinder engine. Uh, in addition to the fact that the only person committing uh, what seems to be criminal acts happens to be the Karen saying, stop recording me, um, you're being antagonistic. Yeah. The recording thing is the most offensive, aggressive thing happening here, obviously. Um, I don't know the backstory. I don't know the allegations are true back and forth, but I do know what's in front of me. And madam, you are not making a good presentation of the facts here, if those facts are in fact facts, okay? And then the notion that you know you didn't give a person permission to record you. Can we just, do we need to do PSAs? What do we need to do? Um, if you're out in public, you have granted permission to be recorded. I promise you, you were probably recorded all the way to that community by somebody's camera. All right, Yasmin, thoughts? Yeah, I, I never know what these Karens are saying. I mean, this one I know had an accent. What was she, Australian? But even apart from that, these Karens, they're always yelling and they're always so incoherent. And this one's extra funny because she's wearing a tiara while doing it. So right. very classy. <laughs> very classy. Right. Exactly. I love it. All right. Um, I got something for you. Double dose. You're right there, love. Uh, hello. Um, I, I'm just a bit, little bit concerned because yeah. you're actually filming and you're parked outside the school gate. Yeah, because you've been watching me and I'm here to pick up my child. Who would you be picking, picking up? Because my child. I'm the headmistress and I okay. I don't like to have people loitering around my school. I'm not loitering, I'm here to pick up my kid. I, I'm sorry, I've never even seen you before. Is his name? Tin is your kid? Yeah. And so where's his mother? Shouldn't the mother be picking him up? Well, it's not really appropriate to be asking that. Like, it's not. I'm sorry, but this is my school, my children. Yeah. Under my protection. Okay, well, my so, child is under my protection. But your I child is not child. here. Yeah, but I full custody of the child. I'm waiting for my child to be here. But your child is in school. Yeah, when and they school come out is of finished. School, school is finished. You see, all I, the other kids, parents coming there to pick up the kids. I and don't pick up want my child. people loitering I'm outside loitering, the school gates. I'm not loitering. I'm inside my car. But you were inside my your, your car with on your phone. Where if you're picking yeah, up your kid, yeah, because you're over here taking pictures of me and stuff phone. like that. Because you're over here taking pictures of me. You would be like standing that. at the school gate with the other parents. No, but my kid knows other... to come outside. I've texted him saying, "Hey, I'm outside," and then right. come outside. So Everyone why can't his mother pick him up? Because me and the mother are not together anymore. Okay, right. So. Right, so I'm getting to understand this is a bit of a broken situation but now. Hold on, yeah. It's, it's, it's right. like a business of what kind of situation it is. I'm sorry. Um, okay, I actually have more videos. So far, she's figured out 
he's in a broken situation. Um, according to her, uh, these are her children under her authority. She is the headmistress. Uh, and she needs to know where is the mother. Now, I actually don't have a problem with the initial action. I have a problem with the rest. I will explain. Here's the rest of the video. Okay, and you're wasting my time. But you came to me. You came to me. You started taking pictures of my car. So then that's why I started filming. You know why? Because I'm protecting my students and my, my, my children. They my are kid. my children that's until my, they that's leave my the school gate and they go children. to their parent. That's and you, to me, do not look like you could be a parent. And I'm because sorry I'm to say that. Because I'm not a mother. That's just a bit. It's got nothing to do with being a mother. But like you just said, you, where where is the mother? You don't have the vibe of being a parent. I'm sorry. Why? Why? It just something my instinct tells me that the vibe is not right, so I'd like right. you to leave now. But so then, who's going to pick up my child? Uh, the mother will pick up the child. Well, no, the mother won't pick up the child. Well, I'm sorry. I feel custody over my I child. I will go in and find Steve, and I will ask him who his parent is. Okay. To and ask then, him. when I know that he's safe, I will release him to the appropriate person, which I feel right now isn't you. My my details are on the school system for the, the legal guardian for. Do you have any identification? Well, yes, I do. But right. I don't need to Can give you show me, please? No, I don't. Well, okay. No, if you've got, I'm... you need to have identification. You need to show me, okay, to be a responsible parent. Okay. Right, and I'm not having it. I'm not releasing <coughs> anyone to you until I know that they're safe <coughs> and that it's the right person. So, even if I ideally, my ID, it's yeah. their mother. Well, we mean ideally, it's your mother. No, it's not. Well, I'm sorry. Then you have to go, and I will make sure that the child gets home safely. I would be livid. Do you understand me? There's not an army on this planet that would have kept me from going in there and getting my child. So I'm actually okay with her seeing something she thought could have been suspicious, being proactive by taking pictures. It may be a little extreme, but we live in a particular day and age. But once it was established that he is, in fact, a parent, the rest of the questions, completely bad faith, completely ridiculous. And then talking about he comes from a broken situation. All right, okay, Yasmin, it just got worse and worse in my opinion as far as the questions were concerned. What say you? Yeah, it really did just escalate unnecessarily, it feels like. This could have been handled so much better. I don't blame her, like you said, for being concerned about the student's well-being. She's right, she is responsible for those kids, but the approach was all wrong. And I know that you know schools have records for the children's parents. She could have just referred to those. I feel like it took her way too long to ask you know, for his name or ID or anything like that. But ahead, when she said that the vibes weren't right, it <laughs> right. called a lot of her credibility into question. Yeah. Also, why can't a dad pick up his kid? Like, it feels very regressive. Extremely so, right? Um, and how can you argue? More involved in their children's lives, not yeah, less. That's right. That's right. I mean, you can't argue with the whole vibe thing, right? It's like, all right, what can I do to prove to you I have good vibes? Nothing. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. In Philly, all right, a Philly daycare under investigation after leaving an infant. Put it up for a mask. It's unbelievable what happened. New Horizons Child Care Solutions, a Philadelphia daycare, is currently under investigation following an incident in which workers lost, lost track of a six-month-old infant under their care. 
The child was located after hours in the closed facility. Fortunately, the infant girl was found asleep unharmed after hours in the closed facility, discovered only when her father insisted on involving law enforcement and emergency responders. The concerning incident has raised questions about how the child went unnoticed. The father, Cameron Banks, and mother, Jesse Flores, are seeking answers, and so are we. The day was different than the last four months in that they have been taking the child to the facility for more reasons than one. It started with great excitement, according to the dad, because it was picture day. And this was his baby girl's first Valentine's shoot. Quote, today was picture day, Banks said. She had on her first Valentine's Day onesie, a little heart tutu. It was a relief to see that she was okay. But in a split second, things got dark. The parents came to pick up their baby, Amora, from the New Horizons Child Care Solutions facility. The Feltonville location, this is in North Philly, Thursday, the 1st of February, around 5.30 p.m. When he arrived at the daycare, it was closed for the day. And no one was there, despite the business hours claiming it closes at 6 p.m. So he gets there, he has 30 minutes left. He's knocking on the door, it's closed, it's locked. He can't get in, everybody's gone. His baby Still in there. There's more. The mother said the couple banged on the door. They rang the doorbell. No one answered. Quote, did somebody take her? Did they take her to a police district? Or is my baby dead? He said were the questions he asked, according to CBS News. The father sprang into action, attempting to call all the numbers associated with the business in an effort to locate her daughter. But... All was in vain, not a single person answered. Flores's mother, the mother's intuition, told her Amora was still inside. I, I need you to just pause on this moment. Contrary to all evidence, keep the picture up. Contrary to all evidence, contrary to what adults should do, she says, Somehow, I feel that my baby is still inside of this closed, dark, locked building. So she called the police. She correctly predicted the baby was still in the building. Before that confirmation, however, she did not know if the child was dead or alive. Everybody's panicking. Emotions are running. Police met with the building's key holder to gain access. However, as they tried to unlock the door, it became jammed. The next resort was to get firefighters who assisted the operation by cutting through the metal bars, protecting the doors of the center. Ultimately, the bars were removed entirely. Quote, police were able to get into the daycare center. It was dark. When they got inside, they found the six-month-old baby in the corner asleep. In a car seat, Philadelphia Police Chief Inspector Scott Small said, let's put him up. 
Banks said the officers walked in and out pretty fast. I thought they were coming to tell us bad news. But then they actually told us she was inside and she was okay, happy. There was a whole bunch of crying, just happy, end quote. Look at that beautiful bundle of joy. Mm. Police have turned the case over to the Special Victims Unit. They're now questioning banks of several new Horizon employees. The mother went with the baby to St. Christopher's Hospital for, uh, for children for medical evaluation. Uh, in comments about the ordeal, in addition to being grateful, the child is doing fine. The dad told Fox 29, quote, we thought we were in good hands. And to come out to this is heartbreaking. Wow. All right. Thankfully, child is okay. But you got to think about all of the very standard protocols that had to be violated here. Number one, you always do a head count. That's standard, always. Number two, how in the world do you forget that there's an entire child missing and you lock up the facility and then you leave 30 minutes early? At least they likely left more than 30 minutes earlier. But we know factually that at 530, no one was there. They closed 6 p.m. Um, and then there's no line for people to call if there's an emergency, no line that somebody would answer. So thankful for the mother's intuition. So thankful. All right. Um, Yasmin, you can't tell me there's not a connection between a mother and their child. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know what that's like personally, but I hear a lot of things about these mothers' intuition, and like we saw it happen, and we saw it play out in real time here. You know, but you have to wonder how does this happen in the first place? How did this baby end up inside of the daycare by herself after hours? As you said, isn't there some kind of protocol that is supposed to be followed that would prevent things like this from happening? You know, obviously the parents would notice if their child is missing, but the school, the the daycare, the people working in the daycare, they all should also. I don't know how many of them are there, but like, how did this happen? You know, daycare is a whole thing for parents. Usually when parents leave their kids at a daycare, it's because they don't have any other choice. Most parents, I'm sure, would love to stay home with their babies, but a lot of times that is not an option. Maybe both parents work or whatever. <laughs> But the parents obviously want the best for their child. Parents will go on interviews and find and select the best daycare for their child because it's such an important process. And the parents, they want to make sure that their child is being well taken care of. But you're put into a position where you have little choice but to trust people who are basically strangers with the thing that you love most in the world. So now, where will the parents go from here? What will they do for the child care that they obviously need? The best case scenario is that there is an explanation as to why any of this happened. And best case scenario, there's some kind of accountability in this case, uh, but we've yet to see that any of that. So maybe in the yeah. future with the investigation that will come. Yeah, we will we'll bring you updates as they develop. Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. So Monique went on Club Shay Shay. And man, did she go on the show. So I can't give you all of it. It was damn near a three hour interview. I don't have the kind of time. But here are some of the highlights about D.L. Hughley. Here you go. And there's a brother named D.L. Hughley. Yeah. And until he take accountability, I won't let it go. I do D.L.'s uh, radio show. Yes. D.L. Hughley is not there. 
His team is there. And Shannon, we having a great time. I mean, baby, we having a great time. We going forth, back and forth. When we get to the end of the show, they said, Monique, we want to play a game of would you rather. Let's go. Would you rather your husband sleep with Lee Daniels with a condom or Corinne Steffens without one? I said to the team, how does that uplift our community? I said, sister, and her name is Jasmine, how could you ask another sister that? Well, we just planned, I said, tell me the joke in that because I don't know what you're insinuating. Then you're involving people that have nothing to do with nothing. Like, what are y'all doing? So I said, I'm going to call my brother. DL. Hey, DL. Yeah. I said, listen, I just got off the phone with your team and they wanted to play this game, would you rather? And it was like, Stupid, like asking me about my husband and Lee Daniels and Corinne Steffens and his exact words. Well, that's how we do it. I said, DL, how does that uplift our community? And again, I don't know what y'all trying to insinuate, but brother, what you doing? Like I said, that's just how we do it. So it is what it is. Now, it got so ugly that my attorney had to send a cease and desist. So it never aired. So we have like... When Cat Williams talk and people truth tellers talk, we have receipts to everything we're saying. Um, she had more to say. Here it is. Through the years, I've watched DL speak ill of me. Through the years, I never knew me. I never knew DL Hughley had a problem with me. But when Cat said they all a group, he forgot to put DL Hughley in the group. Mm -hmm. Through the years, I was bitter. I was dangerous with what I was doing, saying that it was inequality. My husband didn't know what he was doing. This went on through the years. I was unloved, all of these things. And I said to myself, I'm going to see you. Mm -mm. I'm going to see you. Now we have a show in Detroit. Contractually, I was the headliner. DL Hughley posted a memo. Now, when you signed your deal for the Ravens, did you sign a contract or a memorandum? I signed a contract. You see how you say that? Like anybody that knows good business, you signed. Good the memo was saying, this is what I would like. Right. But the contract is saying, this is what, what it, it is. is. Okay? Yes. He put out a memo to our community. And that touched me a little different because I was saying, why would you lie to our babies? Yo, Hughley didn't come into the building until 9.30. Now, contractually, I said I have to be on stage by 9.30 because if the show starts at 8, I refuse to keep an audience waiting. Right. That is disrespectful to the C audience. Correct. When I went out on that stage, Shannon, I made sure everything I said, he heard me because now you're here and I'm going to say it to you. Mm -hmm. And I said some things on that stage that I said he was cowardly. And some folks said, how could you say that? How could you do that? And then I posted some things to say, this is what I meant. See, you came after my husband. And when you had a chance to fix it, when you had a chance to say, Mo, my bad, you know, right. we don't even right. get down like that. Right. You told me it is what it is. All right. Now, D.L. Hughley provided a response on his social media. Here's some of it. So every time I see Monique these days, she's on uh, doing some greasy ass video with her and her daddy complaining about something or working out. I don't know nobody that work out that much and gain weight unless every crunch you do has got capped in the front of it. 
But apparently she goes on Club Shay Shay and tells the story about how she came on my radio show and I wasn't there at the time. And uh, uh, my co-host Jasmine Sanders played a game that we played all the time with everybody called Would You Rather. She apparently was so offended by that that she says she got off. She called me. Monique did. And she said I was very dismissive. Like, huh? Monique's a liar. When Monique did call me, I heard her, her complaints. I listened to her and I pulled the segment. So if I had been as dismissive as she alleges I was, that segment would have aired. It didn't because I respected her wishes. She's a liar. It's, it's also befuddles the shit out of me how somebody who has a comedian talks as much about everybody else as she does. She has the temerity to be offended about anything as much as you say about people. Then she encouraged everybody. Uh, allegedly, it stems from the fact that I used to always talk about her on video after video. And she encouraged her sweet babies to look at the video and find them. Do that. Do exactly what she says. And you know what you're not going to find? You're not going to find any evidence of that because Monique's She's lying about that. But what you will find is Monique talking about some uh, alleged contract dispute we had. Look at the ticket. It says D.L. Hughley, then Monique. She knows the story. All right. And, well, um, D.L. gets, uh, well, takes personal shots. In response to that, she talked about my dog, my wife. This broad even bought out my daughter's personal trauma. You know what else you won't see? Monique doing, you won't ever see a, her with her family, videos with her children or grandchildren, because nobody with me. How do you have sweet babies when your own babies are with you? How do, how do you love us for real when there's no evidence of anybody loving you for real, except your daddy, who you apparently have to pay? And FYI, daughters are paid for by daddies, not daddies who get paid by their daughters. You never see her being a human being. You never see her being sweet and warm to people. Except when she's using it to butter somebody up to get something. There's a reason why everywhere she go starts. Everywhere she goes. How is it that nobody you, not even your family? There's a reason you're fought by yourself. There's a reason you got to pay a man to love you. It's sad. There's an old adage that says you can't buy love. It's a shame, Monique, that you probably always will have to. You know, I didn't want to get involved, uh, but I am. Uh, so DL is lying, okay? And I'm going to tell you what he's lying about. Uh, Monique has plenty, plenty of footage, pictures, videos of amazing community outreach, giving back to universities, non-for-profits. I've never known Monique to lie. As many times as, as I've interviewed Monique and Sydney, I've never known them to lie. I have, on occasion, thought maybe they were wrong on something. I was proven wrong. When everything came out, Monique was telling the truth. But I have to push back on this. I hate to see all this happening, by the way. But I have to push back on this because my dear sister did something that did not get a lot of coverage, but it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And you can find it, it's on YouTube. I used to host these conversations in front of my college students called Leadership Talks. This was when I was a neophyte professor in about 2016, 2017. And we would put these live conversations 
on the university's YouTube channel. <clears throat> so Monique came. Monique did not charge a penny. Monique did not uh, require any kind of special this or special that. She showed up, Sydney showed up. Monique came on stage. We had students galore. We had maybe three, 400 people there. She was scheduled to be there 30 minutes. She stayed over two hours. She answered every single question in the audience. And then at the end, when as the host, I'm trying to make sure I can usher her to her next appointment because we're way over time now. I've extended, I've only extended my welcome here. She's been too generous. She stops and she says, I want to hug everybody. I want to talk to everybody who wants to talk with me. Remember, there, there are no cameras now. Cameras are off. All right. The interview's gone. It's done. And she says, but I, I need all of my seniors. And all of my seniors, I want you to come to the front. And then, and I'm talking about not seniors in the sense of uh, college seniors. We're talking about some of the senior citizens that came from the community to see her. And she hugged and spoke to every single one of them. And then she did all of the senior males the same way. And continued this hierarchy uh, based on age and spoke to hundreds of people. Not one single piece of footage is available for that. But I was there. All those students were there. Okay. But you can find the entire interview at YouTube, Ulash University. And I've seen her do things in ways that she doesn't promote them. I've seen her show up for people and not put it on her Instagram. I've seen her donate money to organizations and say, baby, just leave my name out of it. I just want to make sure y'all okay. So I have to push back because I know truth. All right. Yeah, some thoughts here. Yeah, I am not done with this interview yet. Uh, as you mentioned, it's three hours long, but I'm already obsessed. I'm working my way through it. I was listening to it this morning when I was doing my makeup. Um, I did, however, I didn't finish it, but I did watch the D.L. Hughley portion. And when she first started talking about it, it didn't seem like such a bad thing that had happened. She was upset by the question of the game. She had legitimate concerns about the nature of the game. But when she approached D.L. Hughley about it, he blew her off, according to her. It could have been such a simple conversation. He could have just you know, heard her, empathized with her, understood where she was coming from. He says that he pulled the segment. She said she had to get her lawyers involved before that happened. So we're in a bit of a he said, she said. But then even uh, when she thought that was the end of it, she says now that D.L. Hughley was still, according to her, acting defensively against her, uh, even affecting her career when she was supposed to headline a couple of shows. So his response, though, he talks about her health and her weight, which is totally unnecessary and irrelevant. He says that she has to pay her husband to love her. And I'm assuming he's referring to the fact that her husband is also her manager with that comment. Um, I don't blame Hughley for being defensive. And it's totally understandable that he would want to present his side of things. But this response feels like an overreaction. The personal attacks really don't look good. They don't legitimize his message. If he wanted to contest the things that Monique said, and if he feels that things you know, played out differently in the past than what he heard her uh, report on the show, he could have just said that. He could have just had a conversation with Monique about this instead, but he he decided to release this video. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know Monique personally like you do, but from what I know of her as a public figure, she has been pretty consistent in her messaging throughout the years. So I think that counts for something. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And um, I like DL. Uh, I always thought he was a funny guy. Yeah. Um, and he said some things that to me have been politically significant over the years. Yeah. Um, so I hate that this is happening. And I, I will also say this, um, Sydney and Monique, they have, they have one of the most loving relationships I know. Uh, it's not a Hollywood relationship. It's definitely a different type of relationship. But talk about authentic love. Um, it's going to be difficult to ever authentically say they are not authentically in love. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stack. How many times we got to say it? A white adoptive mom calls the police on her black child to teach the child a lesson and she's shocked at how violent they were with her black child. Here it is, here's the picture. Let me give you the background. According to a January 30 lawsuit against the city of Burlington, Vermont, the adoptive mother of a black teenager with special needs is claiming police officers used excessive force when they arrested her son after he allegedly stole a handful of vape pens in 2021. The civil action filed in Vermont Superior Court will be handled by the ACLU of Vermont, along with the New York City branch of Latham and Watkins, an international law firm, with help from the MacArthur Justice Center, which specializes in police misconduct cases. In other words, they found the wrong family to F with. The suit seeks unspecified punitive damages and calls for anti-bias training for officers, as well as a policy that would ban the city's emergency personnel from using ketamine on anyone who may be experiencing a mental health episode. That is what killed, according to the records, Mr. Lodge McClain. At the core of the lawsuit are allegations that Burlington officers, quote, needlessly escalated when they confronted Kathy Austrian's 14-year-old son, while paramedics showed up later and injected the child with the drug. The same sedative, once again, that killed Elijah McClain in a very similar encounter with Colorado police officers in 2019, despite the 23-year-old having committed no crime. Austrian alleges the actions of the officers and emergency responders amounted to racial discrimination against her son. While the filing says the incident underscored the pressing need for more police oversight in Burlington PD. She told Seven Days, an independent publication in Vermont, quote, I'm committed to this because of my family. What happened was wrong and I do whatever I can to see that there can be change, justice and healing. She's transforming this negative energy into productive energy to transform the narrative, the teen is not named in the lawsuit because he is a minor. Austrian began caring for him in 2005, all right? Um, I was adopted, uh, that's mama, all right, period, that's mama. Um, in 2005, and he was about five months old, eventually adopting him and helping him deal with his cognitive challenges. Despite being in eighth grade, his academic abilities are at a fourth grade level. And at the time of the police encounter, he had been diagnosed with ADHD and complex trauma, according to the lawsuit. Austrian claims the police department was fully aware of the child's developmental disabilities before dispatching two officers to a home in Old North End in May of 2021. 
After the team stole several vape pens from a nearby convenience store, before the incident, police officers had visited Austria's home several times before and managed to peacefully resolve conflicts involving the child, okay? It's kind of the officer friendly thing, right? Upon discovering the stolen products, Austrian decided it was a teachable moment, called the local police. They've helped before, right? Thinking it would impart a valuable lesson. It was a consequential decision at the time, at the same time that Austrian called the police, the store clerk also called authorities to report the young suspect had been carrying a hammer. Later on officers, Kelsey Johnson and Sergio arrived. Austrian told them that her 230 pound son had a recent MRI on his heart and that his doctor just adjusted his ADHD medication. She also expressed concerns that the child may be experiencing delusions because of this mixture. Um, as the officers made their way inside to question the child, Austrian noticed she had failed to confiscate one of the vape pens, which the child was still holding in his hand. At that point, the officers began asking the child to hand, uh, to hand them or hand the item over, but he remained silent, refused to comply while sitting on his bed in his room. The passive standoff, all right, lasted for about 10 minutes before the officers put on their gloves, all right, and grabbed the team. You know that move. On police body cam, Officer Johnson is heard saying, quote, I'm not playing this game anymore. Before approaching the child from there, officers slammed the teen on the bed, seized the vape pen, and began to retreat. However, the officers eased up. The boy swung his arms around aggressively, landing a punch. On Caldieri, uh, when the officer claimed, uh, which the officer did claim in the report that he filed. At that point, the officers handcuffed the child, pinned him face down on the floor while the child continued to struggle. The lawsuit claims, quote, instead of decelerating and disengaging from the encounter, the two officers again responded with disproportionate force, treating the 14-year-old as if he were an imminent and serious danger to their person, the family's claim states. During the emotionally charged episode, the child screamed, cussed at the officers while hyperventilating to catch his breath, worried that the son might have a heart attack. Ms. Austrian urged one of the officers at the scene, call EMTs. He can't stand to be restrained, Austrian told the sergeant. According to Seven Days, which reviewed the lawsuit, it's not fair for him, he's 14, he needs some medical help. Please, paramedics, they come with the Burlington Fire Department, arrived and placed a spit hood over the child's head, leading to another intense struggle, okay? After consulting a doctor, the MTs injected the teen with the sedative, ketamine, and took him to the hospital where he was actually diagnosed with excited delirium. The mother was right. Uh, the lawsuit states that Ms. Austrian was informed by the paramedics that they would administer something to help calm him down. However, they did not specify that it would be ketamine. The next day, the team was released from the hospital, bruised, disorient, disoriented, and traumatized by the experience. The lawsuit says, man, that's a hard lesson to learn for the mom and for the child. And for us also as a community, we now have to be supportive. We are the village. We are the voice for those who need an echo 
Um, Yasmin, this is so sad. What are your thoughts? Yeah, a lot of thoughts. There's a reason why certain communities are concerned when their babies get adopted by people outside of those communities. There are cultural considerations with all of it, but there's also lived experience, right? A white parent may not, no matter how woke, how well read, how engaged they try to be, they still won't be able to fully grasp what it's like to exist as a person of another race or identity. I'm in an interracial relationship and this is an ongoing conversation in my house. Because regardless of who raises you and how you're raised, the world will still view you a certain way, right? This mother, first of all, it's questionable parenting to call cops using tax dollars and public services to teach your child a lesson. But how did she not know that this was potentially how this could all play out? She's a white person raising a black son. Why did she think it was a good idea to call the cops in the first place? So. All of that said, let's move forward. What happened happened. And sometimes, unfortunately, people have to see and experience things for themselves before they really understand that they are real. She has, uh, you know, she's lived with a different lived experience. So I'm presuming she was just responding in a way that made sense to her. Yeah. It seems as though she has, in fact, learned a lesson or two that day. And now she is taking action on behalf of the, of the child. And that's honestly the best thing that can happen in a situation like this, regardless of the fact that the whole thing was maybe preventable. Now, at least she and the community are better informed about the ways in which the world work, especially for people who are of a different ethnic or cultural background. And perhaps they'll be able, she will be able to better parent this child going forward. Yeah, and I know she loves the child. I know mm-hmm. she does. Yeah. Um, this was an unfortunate cause and effect relationship, huge lesson, obviously. Uh, and hopefully at the end of this, transformation can take place not only in that local community, but by way of policy at that police department. We will bring you updates as they develop. A man is now on dialysis after a store employee confronted him for eating fruit. Put it up full mass. Florida, in Florida. Angelica Lee on the left says her 55 year old medically fragile father, Joseph Lee on the right, was falsely accused of theft at a Florida grocery store last week and then seriously injured in a violent encounter with police. Now, she says he is hospitalized. And he has lost the ability to even speak. I'm going to give you the background. 55 year old. The 55 year old went to a nearby Save a Lot store on January 23rd to get some bananas because his body was cramping from an infection, Angelica told NBC News. The potassium from the banana helped relieve his symptoms. So he grabbed four of them while in the store. Angelica. So the outlet that while walking to the register, a father ate one of the bananas, something that I think every single person has done before, eat a grape, anything, right? So he started eating one of the bananas, but told the cashier that he needed to pay for four. Despite this, another employee who was white claimed he was stealing. They denied the accusation, but the employee started to follow him outside, which prompted Angelica to confront her. According to the report, the employee allegedly said, quote, People like you and him shouldn't come into the store if you don't have the money to pay for things. The employee called law enforcement when she saw Angelica grab a bat from a car. Although she noted that she did not threaten her, but knocked items off the shelves with her hands. The police got out with their guns drawn, repeatedly saying, get out of the effing car. Angelica told NBC News, my dad said to me, don't get out of the car until they can fully see you because you're going to be shit. 
they're going to shoot. And after he said that, nine or 10 of them jumped on him. And then they slammed him on the car. Lakeland Police Department spokesperson Stephanie Kurt told Atlanta Black Star that the officers told Lee to back up several times, but he refused to comply, resisted the officer's attempts to handcuff him, and was placed against the hood of a vehicle to obtain control of his person. During efforts to handcuff Mr. Lee, Angelica struck the arresting officer, according to the report. Only one officer was needed to handcuff Mr. Lee, Kurt said in the email to Atlanta Black Star. Angelica said she overheard a father. Who has a pacemaker repeatedly telling the officers that he was struggling to breathe? Lakeland police said, uh, say Lee did not show any signs of physical distress when he was placed in the patrol vehicle. However, Kerr said Lee complained of chest pain and requested medical assistance based on a previous medical condition about five or five and a half minutes later. The officers sought him medical assistance. Lee was alert and responsive when an ambulance responded within minutes of the call, Kerr said. Lee was charged with resisting officers without violence. Once again, he was charged with resisting officers without violence. And the police said he was interfering with their investigation into nothing. Okay? Um, when he didn't comply with their orders to step away from the car per the outlet, Angelica was also taken into custody and she was charged with battery um, on a law enforcement officer and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. The arrest documents show she reportedly denies all allegations against her. The Lakeland police spokesperson said the incident was captured on a body camera video, but it would not be released until after both cases have been processed through the criminal justice system. Quote, we are aware of Angelica's allegations. There were no firearms drawn. There was no protective action. Um, OCO pepper spray, baton, or taser used with Mr. Lee. And no time was Mr. Lee placed on the ground. The assistant manager of the Save-A-Lot declined to comment when reached by phone Monday and refer NBC News to the store's corporate office. Save a lot spokesperson Sarah Griffin said in a statement that the store is aware of a confrontation between customers and store team members. And at the Lakeland store last Tuesday, the local owner operator of the store is working with local authorities and the store team to investigate the incident, Griffin said. All right, so let's go back. Let's make sure the main thing is the main thing, right? First of all, even if he stole bananas, which, by the way, is contrary to the evidence placed before us. Um, but come on, man, stealing bananas, stealing bananas. If you're a cop and you get a call about an older gentleman stealing four bananas, you're going to take that call. That's what you signed up for the force to do. That's protecting a corporate interest, by the way. That's a, that's a principal corporate approach, and then. If a man is eating an apple or a person is eating an apple or a banana, et cetera, just walking up to the cashier saying, I, I need to pay for four, but there's this accusation of theft. I don't know a human being that's an adult who has not eaten a grape or something. Hell, sometimes I get a bag of chips and open up the bag of chips while in line, or maybe open the sweet tea. I'm from Georgia, I'm from the South, I like sweet tea, while in line to pay for it. I do not expect to be accused of theft. It's insane that this happened. This man is unable to talk, okay? He's on dialysis. And the police officers are claiming, oh, we did nothing um, aggressive, nothing violent. Um, yes, man, it's so sad. Their entire lives are now flipped <laughs> upside down because of this.
Yeah, you know, losing your ability to speak over a piece of fruit is ridiculous. Even if he stole the fruit, which as he said, it's not proven that he did, uh, is a banana worth a human being's entire health and well-being. What is more important here? We idolize money so much in this country and we're so concerned about things being fair that we lose sight of actual humanity. None of this needed to happen. And this has been a theme that we've been seeing in all these stories today, I feel like. I feel like a bit of a parrot because... These are situations that have been escalated way beyond what was reasonable or necessary. If I saw a man eating a banana in a grocery store, I would just keep shopping. That's it. That would literally be the end of it. If he didn't have money to buy a banana, I would probably have just bought him a banana. Like how much does a banana cost? And who cares? That's not the point. This wasn't about the money. And we all know that. As he said, we have all eaten things in the grocery store while we were shopping on the good faith that we will pay for it by the time we get up to the cash register. And then we do, it's not a big deal. This is, it's all just unnecessary. And I wanna say this in parting to every officer, loss prevention personnel, I want you to think about something. There's a corporate structure that tells you if a human being steals a banana, we have zero tolerance here. The earth, gives us bananas free, they grow, they're very inexpensive typically. If a human being and a banana can be comparable in the corporate framework and you accept that indoctrination, they have you exactly where they want you. Thinking about it in a higher dimension, a higher point of view, allows you to see the inhumanity in the way we treat humanity. All right. Yasmin, tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, so you can find me. um, I have a podcast called Modern Context. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out my work on the Rebel HQ YouTube channel, and you can follow me on Instagram at Yaz K Y A Z Z Z Z Z K. That's five Z's. Five Z's. Five. Thank Z's. you, thank you, this sister, for all you do. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Indisputable is still the fastest growing news show in America. We tell the truth on Indisputable because the truth is indisputable. Listen, no matter what you do, don't allow the politics of ideology to evaporate the soul that still exists inside of you. They don't stop, I don't stop. Racism won't stop, I won't stop. Systemic bias won't stop, I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform, so I won't stop. You won't stop either.